In the year 536 BC, God moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to allow the exiled Israelites to return to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the temple. The return of the Israelites was God fulfilling the prophet Jeremiah's words spoken many years before. Once in Jerusalem, the Israelites rebuilt the altar and laid the foundation of the temple. However, as God began to move, opposition began to arise. Because of this rising opposition and the improving living conditions, the Israelites quickly became complacent. In 520 BC, God sent another prophet, Haggai, to his people. His words, spoken over 2,500 years ago, still have meaning for us today. Good morning, church. You of us are awake. It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Joey Fennell. I had to look at the title because it changed. Um, I do serve as executive pastor here at Connection Church. Have an awesome time doing that, working with our staff, um, helping with some administrative stuff, and, and uh, even being able to preach from time to time. Some of you know our, our pastor, Brandon, is in Poland. Uh, not by accident. He meant to go there. Um, but he is over there with a group of uh, guys and kids, and they have been playing baseball this week on an international level and won the entire European championship with their team. Now, something to be proud of. But before he comes back and starts bragging about it, he did text me and say they were terrible at baseball. So I'm just going to put it out there, all right? Maroon it for him before he gets back. Um, they're not very good, he said. Um, but I believe they played a, a team from Poland, a team from Russia, and a couple, a couple other teams, maybe a German team. But the kids have had an awesome time. And uh, we, we pray for their safe travel tomorrow. They'll be arriving back in, um, in States for sometime tomorrow afternoon. Brandon started out last week in the book of Haggai that I know all of you have memorized since last week. Um, or at least figured out where it was, right? Um, but it is a very kind of hidden book in the Old Testament. One of the prophets um, who came and, and spoke to the Israelites uh, during that time and packed full of good stuff. And we're going to jump into that today and continue on where uh, Brandon left off from a, a great intro that he did last week. Haggai, Haggai means festival or feast. That word, that name means that festive and I get the impression from reading this book that Haggai was the least scary of the Old Testament prophets. Um, a man with a heart of love, not condemning, but trying to help the people truly find God in all of his blessings. And the prophet was most likely uh, born in exile in Babylon where the Jewish people were held for a 70 uh, year period before a group of about 50,000 strong returned to Jerusalem Led, led by um, Zerubbabel. Uh, the prophet dated his work precisely, which historians love that, wrote it in 520 B.C. And we're going to jump right into that in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. If you will turn with uh, me to that, if you don't have it, it's up on the screen behind me, um, and you can follow along. But we're going to look at Haggai verses, um, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 today. But let's read all that together now. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. <clears throat> Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. 
You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all on all the labor of your hands. Have you ever needed to do something? Had all the resources but just wouldn't do it? That ever happened to you? Let's pray about it. We'll jump into this. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the absolute beautiful sunshine this morning, the, the new life, the green that's out there. We thank you for that, God. We pray that today the words of Haggai, words from 2,500 years ago, will permeate in our hearts today. Meet us where we need to be met right here today, God. Your divine appointments sit in this place. We are all here waiting to hear your word today. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As I was preparing for this message, um, uh, Satan has had a, a really good time with this one. I'll just have to say that right off the bat. Um, I am, a, uh, as in sermon preparation, I like to do something, uh, let things germinate, okay? And I like to sit with things, and I like to write things in a notepad and, and, and just scratch things out and then go back to them and, and put them on paper. And I usually do not type a message or, or put things down until Saturday night. It's the way I've always done it. Call me crazy. And I almost got crazy yesterday. And so I'm at the ballpark, which we live, and um, we've moved a house out to Mill Creek now and um, are living there. It's just easier. And, uh, but it started out yesterday morning with my 10-year-old son, who is, I should say, pretty well-rounded. He was in a math tournament in the morning and a baseball tournament in the afternoon. So I figured if one of them didn't work out, he could always, like, figure out why baseball does what it does, you know, in physics or something that could help him out. But so we go through that, you know, watching the math tournament, which is very exciting. Had a foam finger, was waving that during the math tournament, um, cheering, was escorted out a couple of times, but they allowed me to come back. You don't really do much when you watch a math tournament. You're like, I wonder if they got that right. I mean, you, you don't even know. They turn it in like that. Maybe that was a good one. You don't know anything till the very end when they hand out the awards. But so we do that, and I'm thinking, you know, the, the last game of this tournament is going to be about 545. I figured I got some time to get home and get this message prepared. Do we get out to the park for our first game at 115, which has been delayed by lightning yesterday? Lightning. Anybody see lightning? That's right. It's Mill Creek Park. Lightning was in Portal or somewhere else, and um, it, it went off. So the lightning rod goes off, and everything has to shut down for... Six hours before you can come back to the field. So everything was delayed a little bit. I'm like, oh, I'll catch back up maybe. So last night at about 9.30 when the game ended, um, <clears throat> because we did win the championship, throw that in there, plug. And um, so that was fun. But then everybody wants to get something to eat. So we go to God's country of El Sombrero and get something to eat. 
So at 11 o'clock, we walk in the house last night. And I'm thinking, I probably need to get this typed up, you know. And, uh, and then one of our coolers that we brought in from the event um, fell off of the counter. And it was full of ice and water. Um, ice and water can go a lot of places that you would not imagine that they could go in a kitchen. And um, so for the next little while, we cleaned that up. So now maybe it's time to type the message. So I finally sat down and started getting this thing worked out. And I say all that because if it stinks, I really wanted to have a good excuse. All right. That's why I told you that story. Um, no, but really what happened to me is as I was preparing this in, the, in this late, late night, I, I kind of finished things up and got it where I wanted it to be. And then God, like, just opened the door and he said, ask me the question, well, what about you? And you'll understand that question a little bit more as we get into the message. But he asked me, what about me? And I want to tell you that because I want to say, when I use the pronoun you, I'm talking about me too. This message is for everyone, not just Connection Church. It is for the entire world. And if we had a way to blast it that way, I would do it. Because Haggai is this like gem in the Old Testament that's just hidden in there, packed full of wonderful, wonderful information. So back to um, what I think is probably what happened on the eighth day after creation. The eighth day, God said, let there be chips and salsa. And let them bring that to you as many times as you ask for it. Okay? I'm pretty sure that's how it happened. Mexican food is absolutely awesome. Obviously, it's fresh, literally, on me since I ate it late last night. And it is just such an awesome thing. But I have this issue, a problem called high cholesterol. So I cannot eat Mexican food all the time. But I have a tendency to do it more often than not. I also have been told by my doctor that I have to watch what I eat because exercise is not going to help my cholesterol. Thank God. But (laughs) medicine does work. All right. But I still have to watch what I eat. And I try my best to do that. I know what I'm supposed to do. But then there's just that that basket of those, those chips. And they've got that little bit of salt. And you can add just a little bit. You don't want to add too much. Right. And, and then that salsa is sitting there and they just bring it to you like, here, you have this. It's free. Just, just eat this. Eat this until we run out of chips. And they never run out of chips because God is making those for them in the back. So they can never, they multiply over and over. It's just wonderful. But I know that I'm not supposed to do that all the time, but I still do it. I know that I have the resources and I have the, the mind set and I have the encouragement from my wife, from my doctor, from a lot of people saying, you don't need to do that. But I still fall prey to doing it. And it comes down to my own selfishness, my own needs that I, that I want it. So I want us to consider four things today. You're going to hear this phrase, consider your ways and consider things. And in many translations, this is what is used. But the, the, four, the, the first thing of these four things is just about priorities. Consider your priorities. Consider your priorities. In verses 3 and 4 that we just read, then the, Lord of the, word, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now remember, as, as Brandon talked about last week, the, the temple has not been completed. It's just there's an altar there, but really nothing out. A, cu- a little bit of some walls coming up, but they just stopped. 
And 18 years later, it's still sitting there and they have done nothing. However, he uses the word paneled houses. And as we look at the translation of that, it gives suggestion to elegance and luxury, which is in complete contrast to the rubble and the debris of the temple that's around them. It wasn't a lack of money. It was a lack of will. It wasn't a lack of money. It was a lack of will and them not doing it. Have you ever not just, you know, you got something to do, you know, you're supposed to do it, but you just don't do it. That's how we end up in our spiritual lives. We want so badly to be better with our spiritual journey. Don't we? If we ask most people, I need to do better. I need to do better. I need to read the Bible. I need to do better. I need to do better. We want so badly to be better with our spiritual journey and even know what to do, but lack the will to do it. We have the will to do what we want to do though, don't we? If we really think about it and I'll go ahead and tell you, this message is going to hurt. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, all right, it hurt me. It hurt my feelings. And I wanted to not say some things because it convicted me and I didn't want to be convicted. I just wanted to preach, but that didn't work out. So we're going to all be convicted together. We'll go to the podiatrist together when we check our feet and toes after this is over with. But we do what we want to do, don't we? If there's something we really want to do, we do it. I think about this and coaching my girls' softball team. We get to practice week after week after week. And some of the same girls are always late. Why is that? You know what time practice starts, right? I bet you're on time for school every day. You can get to certain things on time every day. It's even like that for church, right? <laughs> you know, on time for church, that's where you would have a like smiley face emoticon right after what I just said, okay? That's where that would be. I put it on there just so it remind me. But we get to where we want to go, but things that aren't important to us or we lack the will, eh, I'll get there when I can. The second thing is, Consider the reality of your situation. Consider the reality of your situation. He continues to talk to the the people here in verses 5 and 6. And he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. The people here, they had compartmentalized their lives into two very distinct sections. One part of themselves was for themselves. It's all about me. Here's what I'm doing. This is what I need. This is my stuff. And the rest, what was left was for God. But Haggai shows them and he shows us that it is impossible to do this. You cannot live this way. There's no part of our lives that we can hide from God. No place, nowhere, no how. It is a spiritual impossibility to say that we are a follower of of Christ and not following. You can't do that. When God gets a hold of our lives, when Jesus gets a hold of us, there is no denying the saving power of Christ. Because he's in us, he's working in us, and then he comes out of us for people to see. The people had this material prosperity without any real fulfillment. There was nothing there, just stuff. So in this reality of our situation, I want us to consider 
some of our ways. Consider your ways in your home. How much time do you spend in the word? How much time do you spend on your knees? How much of this is done with your family in the presence of your children? In the presence of those who need to hear the word of God. How do you speak to each other? How do you talk? How'd that go this morning for you? Right? So funny. So funny to stand in the parking lot. You kind of see people coming by and you see the, the dad, you know, in the, in the front seat. One more turn. I'm going to snatch a knot in your head. All this kind of stuff's going on. And they get out of the car and everybody's in and stand up. Hey, good morning. It's like this Holy Spirit transformation happens to us when we step into the parking lot, right? No, that's not what happens at all. Because we're putting on this show. But how do you speak to each other? How do you talk to each other? How do you talk to your friends? How do you talk to the people who you hang out with each and every day at work, at school? We choose things that take us away from our family instead rather than to it. Our priorities are out of whack when it comes to our families a lot of times. We justify it by saying we have to provide men and women. We do this. I got to work more. I got to provide for my family. Let me tell you something, parents. Your kids want you, not your money. They want you in the home. Men, your families need you at home. They need you. They need you to lead. They need your love. They need your attention. They need your support. Moms, they need you at home. They need you to be all the way there when you get there. Kids, consider it for yourselves. Where are your priorities when it comes to that? How are you talking to your parents? How are you spending time with them? How are you showing them respect? I've discovered that the main reason for broken marriages and relationships in general has everything to do with selfishness. That's how it all boils down to it. If a marriage is breaking up, if things are going bad, somebody or both are being selfish. I want what I want, and I'm going to live the way I want to live, no matter who it hurts. If it tears up my marriage, so be it. I'm going to be selfish. We don't say it, but we live it. And the results are very obvious. In our general relationships, we live selfishly. We want what we want. That's how we live. It's how we're wired to live for some reason. It's what the world teaches us. Get what you can get as fast as you can get it. Consider your ways at work. How selfish do we live our lives at work? We live this covetous, self-seeking mentality that is all about me and what I can achieve and what I can get. And the selfish spirit is eating the life out of our businesses out of our community. Some of us are even considering leaving what is right and good for our family to transfer to another location all because of money. Not doesn't have anything to do with anything else. The sole purpose is earning more money. And there's nothing wrong with a good job. There's nothing wrong with a job transfer as long as God has brought you to it. Be sure that God has brought you to it, not self. We won't do acts of service because we don't have the money or the time, but we can find other things to spend our money on. I was talking with someone the other day about an opportunity overseas, short-term 
little mission opportunity would fit them perfectly. I thought about them specifically and said, this could be something that would be really good for you. It's just a couple of days, but you get there, do what you need to do, get back. And he went on and on and on about time and money and all the excuses that he could possibly think of with me. And he slipped up and he said, and about that time when you're asking me to go, that's when our pool's going to be ready. Oh, oh, yeah, I see. Can I come? And um, he said, uh, I didn't rebuke him because there's nothing wrong with pools. But it's about our priorities. It's about what's important. And we got to keep those in check. Consider your ways with money. You know, I was leading to this. Said it several times, right? You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Where does it go? Where does your money go? You've heard this before, but I challenge you. Go through your checkbook. Go through your ledger. Go online, wherever your ledger is, where you may not keep one. Start. It's a good idea. The bank's like it. Keep, go through your ledger. Categorize things. See where your money goes. That tells you what's important. Where our heart is, our treasure will be also. Some of you swipe your card 30 times a month at Starbucks. Nothing wrong with that. I love a good Starbucks every now and then. But are you fulfilling God's call in your life as much as you're supporting the coffee bean growth in Columbia? Just weigh those out. What am I doing? What is my money telling about what my spiritual life is about? I want you to watch this video real quickly about a couple of guys that are sharing their heart. Church. I'm Matt Wise. And I'm Andrew Arthur. We work for Athletes in Action at Georgia Southern University. When you get to Connection, you help support organizations like us. As former athletes, we know all too well how culture worships sports and idolizes athletes. Our mission is to help redeem sports so they can be enjoyed as the gift that God created them to be. We want to help the athletic community see Christ as their supreme treasure and value so that they can glorify Christ through sports and really for the rest of their life. The way this happens is through spiritual multiplication. What this looks like is winning people to Christ through sharing the gospel of Jesus, then building them up in their faith through discipleship and connecting them to the local church. Then we send them out to make more disciples in the Georgia Southern Athletic Community. Ultimately, we want to see athletes make more disciples wherever God leads them. Thanks so much for giving. You're helping us continue to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. If you'd like to help support organizations like Athletes in Action, please go to connection-church.com slash give. Matt and Andrew and, um, do a great job on Georgia Southern's campus and, and encouraging our athletes and meeting them where they are and sharing Christ with them. And that spirit of multiplication is so huge because athletes end up in all kinds of places and bring about this discipline that they already have about them, that their spiritual life pours out of. And we thank those guys for what they do. And hopefully you might be able to help them or other organizations like them. It's perfectly okay to have money. Perfectly okay to have money and be blessed because of what you have done and what God has done through you. But Haggai is very clear that with all of that, there is no eternal happiness or joy. And God can take that at any moment. 
And that's what this entire story is about, what Haggai is saying to them. He's reminding them of what happened in the past. And when God gets ticked off, he does drastic things in the Old Testament. And he sends frogs and plagues and all kind of weird stuff to get people's attention. And Haggai is just kind of reminding them, remember the frogs. Come on, guys, let's shape up. Nobody likes frogs on the floorboard of the chariots. I mean, that's just awful. Get all up in your feet, just nastiness. But that's what was happening and what could happen. And he was reminding them of that. Haggai was not saying don't spend on yourself. He was saying don't spend on yourself and neglect the things of God. Pretty simple message. Don't spend on yourself and neglect the things of God. We've never asked you to give until you can't eat or feed your family at Connection Church. Remember, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. And that's a very, very meaningful statement for us. That's exactly what we mean. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. We ask that you surrender your life to Christ and allow him to show you how to prioritize your money. We're not going to tell you how to do that. We can lead you in that. We have resources for that. But ultimately, God makes that decision in your life. And he leads you to that. Consider your ways with the church. Sometimes we neglect the preaching of the word by not attending church and saying, ah, it's only the gospel. It's basically what we're saying. How long has it been since you spoke of Christ? Do people know what you claim on Sundays? Do they know what you claim Monday through Saturday? How does that shape out to you? How do you talk about spiritual leaders to your friends and family? That preacher up there just wants my money. Always want to need something. What message are you sending to your children with words like that? How could they ever respect people in authority or people who are uh, pastors and leaders of churches, their own teachers, their own mentors? How do you expect God's blessing on you and your plans when you are so indifferent is what Haggai is saying. The third thing to consider is consider your next step. Consider your next step. It's what he's saying to the Israelites at this point in verses seven and eight. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. He was telling them what their next step should be. Don't neglect it. Do what God is asking you to do. I think we start doing this by judging ourselves. And we judge ourselves and our past in God's presence according to his standards, not the world's standards. The world does not dictate for the followers of Christ what is right and what is noble in the eyes of God. That's not the world's responsibility, but we've allowed them to do that. Those constant arguments I have with teenage daughters and and a son who's coming up, and I shouldn't say arguments. I can say that they're not here yet. I'll change it at 11. But they are arguments. And it has to do with everybody else is doing it. Why can't I do it? And I'll start out with movie ratings. We're not those types of parents that drop our kids off at the movies so they can sneak into an R-rated movie. And it's not about don't do this. It's about those ratings are the world's standards of filth, not ours. 
Christ's standards are so much different than that. I'm not going to get on some high horse about what you can go watch and what you can't watch because I love a good movie. But I want to raise my kids to understand that those aren't our standards. And we use God's standards to do that. The other one is the way we dress. Oh my gosh. It's bathing suit season. I would rather... Oh, I don't even know what's the worst thing I can think of right now. I just go back to the speed bump at the Daytona 500. That's my go-to one. I would rather be that than have to deal with bathing suits. Because, I mean, it's just colored underwear, in my opinion. That's what it comes down to. Why do you want to look like that? And instead of condemning and saying, don't wear that, and coming down on them so they'll have it on and go change when they get to the beach, when I'm not there... I want them to understand and appreciate how God has created them. I want them to understand to respect themselves and not try to be something that the world says that they need to be. Because those are the world's standards, not God's standards. He's calling on the people to reflect deeply and then act. Take your next step. Reflect deeply and then act. Action without reflection is usually unwise. But reflection without action is sterile. It is like a a blank canvas, this wonderful canvas that we have sitting for an artist to paint on, but it just stays blank. The paints stay closed. The brushes stay dry. But when we reflect and then we act, it's like taking those brushes and throwing color all over a canvas. That's what God wants to do in our lives. That's what God wants to do on our hearts. He wants to paint his picture and who he is within us. So it comes out to the people around us. Take your next step. Get baptized. Ask Jesus to come into your life and be Lord of your life. Stop depending on yourself or your spouse to lead and follow God's guidance for a change. Follow God. Don't follow someone else. Follow God for a change. Give it a shot. God wants to see evidence of his word working in the people's lives. And that's what this story continues to move towards is that evidence is the temple. He wants the temple completed. He wants it finished because it's a demonstration of their love for him. It's a demonstration that their priorities are changing. And they're not worried about their own paneled houses, but they're beginning to see the big picture and what God has in store for him. And God wants that for us today. He wants our families, our colleagues, our children, our parents to see evidence and experience that evidence coming from each of us. That evidence can be seen and and touched and smelled from a distance. People know because of what's coming out of us. I have a client that comes to my office on occasion And um, it's like a, um, if you go to the vet and you get your dog dipped, you know, for fleas, she has this dip that she does for perfume, I think. She lowers herself into it and it's brought back and it permeates. So if, even if I don't look on my schedule, it's like it can come through my windows when she goes to the parking lot. I'm like, whoo, she's here. Permeates the entire building. Takes a couple of days for it to even leave. What if our lives were like that? What if we lived in a way like that before we even approached a situation? People said, wow, what is that? Not something that smells bad, but something that is spirit filled, something that that permeates a room. And even when it leaves the room, people are still going, what? 
was that. And I want that. That's what God intends for us to do. And that's what he wanted his people to do. He wants them to bring wood and begin the building of the temple. This would be a tangible demonstration of the people's desire for God to be with them again. Yes, we are breaking ground on a permanent facility June 1st. Praise God from all blessings flow. However, yeah, that's a good thing to clap about. This is not a temple. The New Testament is clear that the church is us. God dwelling in us. So our call today is to bring about a cleansing of the temple. Our temple for some. And it's a building of a new temple for others. Those of you who may be hearing this for the first time, you're like, you know what? I don't see myself as a temple because I don't, Jesus is not Lord of my life. So it may be a brand new thing for you today to hear this. And there's some very difficult decisions I think that need to be made by many of us today. But the compensation for turning your life over to Christ far outweighs the effort. What you receive is so much more than what you have to do because of God's grace. The fourth thing I want us to consider today is consider where your help comes from. Consider where your help comes from. Verses 9 through 11, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, the earth its crops, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Haggai lays out the reason why things are the way they are. They failed to rebuild his house and now he's punishing them. This is not just some God, small g God. This is the universal Lord of the universe. As Psalm 121.2 says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Ultimately, it comes down to the question as to whether we believe in this God or not. Do we believe that this is the God of the universe? Who not only created everything, but continues to be involved in our lives and uses everything that he created And that he made to fulfill his purposes. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. This is no mismanagement of resources or bad irrigation or bad weather. This is a curse from the one who created it. Why? Because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Their priorities were way off. Until God is given first place, nothing will go right for these people. That has not changed much in 2,500 years. Until God is given first place, not much is going to go right. It may for a while, but not forever. Haggai has a message from God, and he has a message for each of us. Each of us today. There's no generalization about putting God first in this prophetic message. He doesn't sugarcoat the word at all. He points out a specific contrast between the state of God's house and the state 
of their houses. And today God points out the same contrast. Look at your houses and look at my house. But he's asking for us to look at that within ourselves. The dwelling of the Holy Spirit who is in us and in the temple, in the church, who we're supposed to be. How does that look in contrast to what you're doing on your own? Is there a contrast between the state of your temple, your walk with Christ, and what your life is really like? Haggai simply uses the scriptures that the people already knew. It came from a a, a group of books called the Pentateuch. And Deuteronomy was one of those books he talks about and he reminds them of those covenant curses, those plagues, all those things that, that God brought about to the people to get their attention. Those things, the, the droughts and the, and the times that were spent in separation from God. He reminds them of those. But he gets very pointed in Deuteronomy verses, chapter 8, verse 18. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. God promises that to us. He promises to produce wealth in us. Is it monetary? Maybe. Is it health? Maybe. Is it not? Maybe. I don't know. But what God does promise is that if the spirit dwells within us, none of those things even matter. Because we're living our life for Christ and things are changing in us and our lives are changing for the better. But ultimately, eternally, we get to sit in the presence of God. Does it mean we don't get cancer? No. Does it mean that loved ones don't die? No. It doesn't mean any of that. Those are still worldly things. Haggai is talking about permanent, eternal things of God. You and I are not capable of anything without God. Even if you are not a follower of Christ, God still created you and he made you capable of what you do. Now think of how much better that could be if you lived in the will of God. There's no great flashy message here that condemns idolatry or bogus religion or social injustice like the other prophets. Haggai faces down this complacent apathy that has become indifference to the Lord. Like I said, God said to me last night, what about you? I didn't like that question. Because I have a tendency to be apathetic. I have a tendency to be indifferent. I have a tendency to even be critical from time to time. God sat me down and put me in my place last night. And like I said earlier, this message is for all of us. In the book of Revelation, the church at Laodicea did not have enough life for weeds to even grow. That's pretty desolate. They couldn't even take root. This church was apathetic and indifferent to God. Just like the people of Haggai's day and the church at Laodicea, we find ourselves here all the time. And we easily can fall into a place of indifference and apathy. God's doing awesome things at Connection Church and continues to do things in spite of what we do. He has his hand here and it's very obvious. But man, can you imagine? Can you imagine 
if we considered these ways and we really bought into the fact of what Haggai is saying to those people 2,500 years ago and we straightened some of these things out for some of us to be turned our lives over to Christ. Haggai's message is so spot on 2,500 years later and will continue to be because there will always be apathy. And as long as there are churches, there will be apathy churches. Always. The only thing that changes that for the people in this text and for us is the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms and changes our hearts. We at Connection Church are not simply concerned with out your outward failures and sins. Without your word failures and obvious sins. Yes, we're concerned about those, but not primarily. Let me tell you what we're primarily concerned about. We're concerned about heart devotion and true commitment to God through which everything flows. We're concerned about heart change. Anyone can do behavior modification. But if we change things within the heart, if God works in our lives, comes into our hearts and changes us, it will change our behaviors. It has to goes back to that spiritual impossibility. It cannot happen. If God is living in us, we can't live another way. Anything less than having God at the center of our lives is as damaging as idolatry. So in this text, the scripture reveals so clearly the importance of the temple as the outward sign that God was living among his people. I ask you this question today. What is the outward sign that God is living within you? What is the outward sign that God is living within you? What type of aroma permeates from you in the presence of others? We don't live our lives based on what others think. But if others do not know your faith... And I challenge you to really ask questions about that. What's wrong with that? To me, there should be no doubt. There should be no doubt about who we are and what we do. That doesn't mean we're all preachers. It doesn't mean we all shake our Bibles and beat people over the head with them at work or at school. No, but it means we love others. We serve others. We do what God's called us to do. We love our families, we love our spouses, we love our kids, we love our parents, and we show them that on a day after day after day basis. For some of you today, you may be sitting here going, don't even know where to start. He's not Lord of my life. He's not been Lord of my life, but I want that to happen right now. And it's so awesome that you came today because that can happen right now. You're not here by accident. And God is speaking to you. He's been speaking to you since I opened my mouth. He's been speaking to you since the band strummed the first chord this morning. May have started speaking to you when you raised up in bed and said, Oh, I want to go to nine o'clock earth. And you're here. Somehow, some way. You don't even remember the ride over. But you're here. And right now your heart's beating a million miles an hour because you know God's calling on you. You know that God's saying to you, please come. Please ask me to be Lord of your life. He's asking you that. He's asked you before. He's asking you again. Right here, right now. So I'm going to ask you right now in front of everybody because we celebrate the fact when people come to know Christ. 
it's no secret. Our faith is personal, but it's not private. It's not private. God never intended for it to be. When I ask you right now, if God's calling on you, he wants to save you. You know he does. We want to pray with you. We want to walk you through that. But right now, you want to make that decision. I want you to lift your hand right where you are. Just raise your hand. Anyone. Anybody. Maybe today may be that day that you've heard just like I have. That God says, what about you? What about you and your apathy and indifference? What's most important in your life? Is it your work? Is your family more important than your spiritual growth? Is your money more important? Yes, we can all say that. All answer that question, yes, because it is. Each and every day we face that dilemma. Maybe today's the time that you need prayer in some area. You want to turn something over to Christ. I'm going to ask if, if you want to do that today and just say, you know, I just, I just need to be prayed for. And, and we can have that prayer right here with all of us. But if you want specific prayer, our prayer team is going to be to my left and your right afterwards. But if you want to just say today, today, I, I really want to just kind of throw off some of this indifference and, and focus my life, refocus what I'm doing in my life. I want to ask you just to stand to your feet. If you will, just stand to your feet right where you are. If you say, today, I want to make a difference in my indifference. So we can pray. I'm not asking you to go somewhere else. Thank you. And we'll pray together. Anybody that wants to make that decision, just to be, have prayer. I think it'd be almost all of us. Maybe the 11 o'clock crowd is a rough one though. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for this morning. Thankful so much, God, for each person who is here. And we know that there are some here today who are just chewing a hole in their seat right now. Because they know you're calling on them right now. Because you constantly do that. But God, those of us who are, are standing right now, including me, I ask for prayer and, and, and throwing off that indifference of refocusing some things that say, God, you are the most important thing in my life. And I want to demonstrate that. I want my behaviors to demonstrate what's going on on the inside, just like your temple did for the Israelites. Thank you, God, for the love that you give to each one of us. We love you and we thank you. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.